The Bloody Podcastacre with Zach Walters and Kennedy Catherine. Hello, this is the Bloody Podcaster. Um, I'm Zach Walters, and Kennedy Catherine is currently plugging in her computer so we don't die mid-recording. This week is a special impromptu recording. Kennedy is struggling, struggle bus. Do you not have a longer cord? No, I don't, actually. Hi, yes, hello, it's me, Kennedy Catherine, the other part of this B-L-O-O-D-Y, Bloody Podcastacre. We are here, like Zach said, for an impromptu episode because it was important. That we do it now. That we get this out for the listeners. It is... Malignant by James Wan. I went and saw this in theaters by myself last week and had quite the experience. Wow. I know I already told you about it, but it is funny. You can tell everybody. I decided to go to the theater by myself. um, Did you go for a matinee? Sorry, I just want to set the scene. What time? Daytime? Nighttime? 7 p.m. on the dot nice it was nice did you play time play what is that no it was landmark um so they did not have the time play but i get there and it is one of the theaters with huge reclining seats Mm -hmm. and there's a section in the front and then there's like a section sort of in the back yeah and i'm sitting in the very last row in the front section and it's a tall chair and i am a short human being not only am i short i was wearing all black and the seat was black and this couple walks in they're talking, you know, appropriate level. And then all of a sudden, the one guy goes, theater to ourselves. The one guy, meaning the only guy, because it was a heterosexual couple. Then they start hooting and hollering because they've got the theater to themselves. And I think to myself, what do I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. So I do nothing in this situation. <laughs> and I continue to sit there. They find their seats. And I'm thinking by the time they get their seats from their specific vantage point, they will be able to see me. But once again, I'm wearing all black and my seat is not yet reclined. So they're talking very loudly, but nothing is happening yet. So I can't say anything. Right. It's not during the movie. No. And then the previews start and they speak super loudly throughout the previews. But once again, they're previews. I'm not going to say anything. Although, wow, the new Sopranos movie looks amazing. So I was going to say, was there any good trailers that played? Sopranos looks really great. Um, I watched The Sopranos, though. I See, I never did. I was, yeah. I think I was too young for when it was airing. Definitely. And I have, I have never picked it up since. So all I know is that Lady Gaga was in an episode of Sopranos as a young teenager. Was she? There was this pool scene and she was on the bleachers with some other girl. Huh. She was like 16 in it. I haven't rewatched really Sopranos in years, but I'm going to now. There's also a new Matrix movie coming out, which yes, is exciting. Yes, saw the trailer for that. Yep. I've only seen the first Matrix, though, this past year. Oh, they're all good. Mm-hmm. They're not... Really a genre yeah. of movie that I love, but I like The Matrix. It's good. Uh, I think it's really funny that the red pill, blue pill thing has become such a thing in all right wing uh, circles, even though <laughs> The Matrix was written by two trans sisters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Ironic. Anyway. It's because people don't like to do... Their research. Any research. No, they see red pill online, red pill, blue pill, and they just... Assume red means... They just assign themselves to it because they see their favorite incel talking about it and so on and so forth. But this isn't a political podcast. This is a podcastacre. The They're talking loudly throughout the previews, but I allow that to happen. Then the movie starts and they're talking loudly. And have at this point, have you reclined? Have you Did you get popcorn? Did you shuffle your bag? 
I... Make any, like, sort of note that you were there? I did not. Okay. In the very beginning of the movie, I reclined, but I think it was just dark enough that maybe they didn't see. It was, like, loud, and you're reclining, and there's, like, it's just nothing. Oh, I forgot the major plot point, which is that after they sat down, they started making out. And that is when I didn't know what to do. It's one thing if someone or a couple is in a public space doing something Mm -hmm. for the thrill of getting caught when they know people around, but these people thought they were alone. And I was like, they're not the creeps in this situation. If I don't say anything, I'm the creep. But also, at theaters, you always have the one theater attendant come and walk in. True. First 10 minutes, make sure the film is running. Mm-hmm. So at that point, they would have like, right. you know, hopefully stopped, did they? Did they watch the film? I mean, just to really set the scene and be completely transparent, I was a little stoned. And that definitely hindered my capabilities to be a strong person in this situation and make Mm. my presence known. I was frozen. So I let them make... I mean, I didn't let them make out. They were making out and I happened to be in the room. I wasn't looking at them. I couldn't see them. I could just hear it, which was upsetting. That's worse. So upsetting. Um, I think then by the start of the movie, when I reclined, they noticed me. Oh. I didn't hear a thing out of them for the rest of the movie maybe they were just enthralled with what was happening on the screen i don't think that was the case and then as soon as the movie was over as soon as those credits started i was up and out because i did not want to deal with the eye contact so i would also argue because i know that you did not watch this in theaters Mm -hmm. that the theater experience really makes this movie (sighs) okay do you want me to tell the synopsis before we really get into it yes and this is still a Relatively new movie. Fresh. So full spoilers ahead, as always. I considered not doing the full synopsis, but I'm going to assume that anyone who's listening has recently watched. But I know a lot of people who do listen to the podcast and they like to know everything before going into the movie. So Madison, a pregnant woman living in Seattle, returns home from work. During an argument with her husband, he smashes her head against a wall. She locks herself alone in their room and falls asleep. After a dream of a man entering their house to violently kill her husband, she wakes to find that he really is dead. The killer, still in the house, attacks Madison, knocking her unconscious. The next morning, she wakes up in hospital and is told by her sister, Sydney, that her baby did not survive. After arriving home, Madison reveals to Sydney that she was adopted at the age of eight years old. At that same time, the killer kidnaps a woman running a Seattle underground tour. Madison has another vision, this time of the killer murdering a woman named Dr. Weaver. During their investigation, Detectives Shaw and Moss discover a photo of Madison as a child in Dr. Weaver's house and learn that she specialized in child reconstructive surgery. After another vision, this time of the killer murdering another doctor, Madison and her sister go to the detectives. The killer contacts her and reveals himself to be Gabriel, her childhood imaginary friend. She visits her adoptive mother to learn more. They realize that Gabriel was not her imaginary friend, but someone real with whom she spoke to during her childhood. The detectives find a link between the doctors and Madison, which leads them to discover another body of a dead doctor. The detectives enlist the help of a hypnotherapist. Under hypnosis, Madison recalls that her birth name is Emily May, and that Gabriel wanted her to kill her unborn sister after she'd been adopted. She came close to doing it, but was stopped. After the hypnosis session, a loud crash happens in the house. The woman who'd been kidnapped from the underground tour falls from the attic, revealing that Gabriel was living inside Madison's house. The woman is Serena May, Madison's birth mother. Sydney finds that Gabriel is actually Emily's twin brother who lives within her body, a parasitic twin sharing the same brain and spinal cord. During Emily's childhood, Gabriel appeared as a half-formed child facing out of Emily's back. Dr. Weaver had cut out the parasitic tumor and sewed what little remained back into Madison's skull. 
He was dormant, but woke after her head was smashed against the wall. Gabriel's face now emerges from the back of Madison's skull, assumes control of the brain, and operates her body backwards. Provoked by fellow inmates while Madison is kept in a cell after questioning, Gabriel takes full control, slaughters them all, and almost the entire precinct. Sydney and Detective Shaw intercept him at the hospital, where Serena, the kidnapped woman and Madison's mom, is recovering. Sydney tries to reason with Madison under Gabriel's control. Madison wakes up and takes back control of her body. In a black mindscape, she locks Gabriel behind bars, telling him that she is in control now. As Madison leaves Gabriel to rot, he insists that he will return one day. She tells him she'll be ready when he does. Back in the hospital and in full control of her body, Madison lifts a hospital bed pinning Sydney to the wall. The two embrace and Serena looks on happily while the electric humming that accompanied Gabriel can be heard faintly. Malignant. Wow. You say wow, but you didn't like it. <laughs> Here's the thing. After, so I, I watched it two nights ago. Can you sit down or stand up? We have, a, we have an extremely unruly cat in the house. So I watched this movie two nights ago because it was available via HBO Max. Right. And I really disliked the first two thirds of this movie. And then the last third of it where Gabriel... I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know what? It's fine. The last two thirds. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, the last third. the The first two thirds of the movie, boring. I was not into it. The last third where Gabriel decides to slaughter the precinct, fully invested. Such a good action sequence. Like, objectively, like, this movie is bad. No. Yes. It has bad writing. (laughs) It has some bad acting and weird plot holes. I, I, I just so firmly disagree with you. I just feel like there's so many parts where it's just like, what is happening but then after doing research for this movie and, like, kind of looking into, like, the inspirations of it and yes. all of that, I was like, okay, I understand. But it also is very, like, reminiscent of, like, 80s, 90s, like, old horrors, but, like, also in, like, a bad way. But that's the point of it. That's the thing. This- and see, I think that I... And I know you told me going into this movie, like, go into it with, like, a completely open mind. I, like, didn't really even remember the trailer when I started watching it until, like... I don't know, 30 minutes, and I was like, oh, that's kind of what this movie is supposed to be. But it's more of just like a horror experience, if that makes sense. I don't disagree with that. So this is what James Wan had to say when the movie came out. It's an original story, but inspired by my love for Baba, Argento, De Palma, Cronenberg, and the kind of 80s horror thrillers you would discover on the back shelves of video stores. If you're looking to watch something like The Conjuring, this isn't it. And I think... That that kind of hits the nail on the head. It is very like 80s thriller horror where it is, this movie is pure camp and it knows it. It it very much is fully camp. Yes. In every sense of the way. Yes. And then some. And then some. The attendees of the Met Gala. Above the Met Gala. Above. The Met Gala can't do camp because the Met Gala is predominantly straight and white. Because I know, or I originally thought that we sort of disagreed on this movie. A lot of what I have to say is about that idea of this movie being camp. Movies like that are tricky because, okay, so House of a Thousand Corpses is a movie that we've done that was Mm -hmm. very campy. 
But everybody knew that that movie was going right. to be camp. And that movie does not appeal to everyone. And the thing about like a malignant versus a... Okay. <laughs> malignant versus a Rob Zombie movie is that you know going into a Rob Zombie movie that that's what you're going to get. Right. But when you compare this to new horror films, it is the only one that actually made me feel something because it was the only one that I didn't feel like I knew what I was going to watch. It wasn't formulaic. It was not routine. It was like... It was wacky and bizarre. Very much so. But it had all the pieces of a great horror film. It had like potential ghost sightings, demonic stuff. We moved into sci-fi. We had those like very thrilling action sequences. Mm -hmm. Straight up slasher. Superhero. Yeah. Esque. And like we had the makings of everything in a way that could have been messy. But I feel like it all tied together in this weird melting pot of magic. For me. But I also feel like at some points for me, it missed the mark. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. Unfortunately, and maybe this lends to my experience in a more positive way, I read a spoiler that I didn't realize was a spoiler. So I knew the whole time that she had a parasitic twin. Mm. I just didn't know how that was going to play out. And a review that I read said, even if you know what the thing is, you will not know the entirety of what the thing is. And I agree with that. The idea of having a parasitic twin, okay, that's one thing. But having the parasitic twin be a full-on Jackie Chan martial arts... That lives inside your brain. Yes, that makes you walk backwards. Mm -hmm. That can also take out a precinct and also (laughs) pop like a pimple out of your head. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other storyline. Yes, and I did not expect a different branch in reality that no one was expecting. Right. Because I did clock... We talked about this briefly yesterday. I did clock that there was something weird about the way that Gabriel in the shots before the like reveal that there was something off about him because when he went to go pick up I don't remember if it was the trophy something on a table but the hand was backwards Mm -hmm. so the glove was this way it's hard to explain it's like the hands were switched because it was someone working backwards with their hands right and so I was like, why is the glove backwards? Yes. I was like, why is the thumb where the pinky is and the other way around? Mm-hmm. But I didn't put it together until like later. I was like, oh, it makes sense. He's shifting into this other human thing. Right. That also has electricity powers. Yeah, that's the one sort of plot hole. But we'll, we'll circle back to that. Yeah. In my head, the parasitic twin thing was going to be an entity outside of her. Right, because it it makes it seem the whole time that these are two separate beings. Right. Technically, they are, when you think about it. They each have their own personalities. They share a physical body. Yes. But I agree where I was like, okay, Gabriel's going to be this other figure that they're two separate bodies, but also maybe not because he can speak through phones. And like there was like that weird bit Mm -hmm. where that you weren't sure what was going to happen. Right. So the question that I was going to pose before I kind of... I have some notes about that that I want to circle back to was I had heard from two people who watched it before I watched it. Mm -hmm. One of the people said explicitly, you will not like it. Like, you'll want to walk out in the first half. And so I already started making notes before I watched it because I was thinking of the thought of... There's a couple of different movies like that where until you get to the reveal, it's not that engaging or it's not that entertaining. So I was thinking to myself, like, what is the value of a movie... If you have to wait and suffer through an hour to an hour and a half to just enjoy 15 to 20 minutes of it. That was not my experience with this movie. Mm -hmm. I found it very entertaining and really enjoying even up until the reveal. 
but how good is a movie if the rest of it sucks outside of the reveal? Because what does it, what value does it have? The rewatchability still isn't great. But I think it's also the payoff in the end. You have that moment where you're like, oh, and then you think back to everything. Even if like the first hour, hour 15 is quote unquote bad, then once you get to that reveal, it makes everything good. It makes it enjoyable of what you just like went through. I guess so. Because I did, I did kind of have that feeling where I was like, oh, and you kind of go back through your mind of like watching the scenes of this is why this happened. Right. And why it was kind of slow. Sorry, I just remembered a scene in the movie where she was fully awake doing laundry. And the little boy. And it went, wee! <laughs> yeah, I still don't really know what that was. Because that was completely outside of the realm of her being paralyzed. Paralyzed? Well, like, she has sleep paralysis. But she wasn't at that point. That's what I'm saying. It's That was out of the realm of her being paralyzed. So why did that happen? Because normally, oh. normally everything else, she was either paralyzed. Well, she was. She was fully stuck and frozen in her position. When we say paralyzed, so the way that the movie happens is essentially the reveal is that this parasitic twin is living inside of her head. The parasitic twin basically breaks out of the back of her skull. Very Voldemort-esque in the first Harry Potter movie. And controls her body backwards, as we explained in the synopsis. But because they're sharing a brain, she is not unconscious to these things happening. Mm -hmm. So from her perspective, before she realizes what's happening, she sort of gets frozen in place. The environment around her dissolves and she wakes up and she watches from a third person view Gabriel perform these violent attacks Mm -hmm. against these people and she's sort of frozen in place and she thinks that she's sort of having like a sleep paralysis dream yeah and like vision of like what is happening to other people right and there's a scene where she's doing laundry and she goes to walk downstairs and across the landing a little kid runs and that is the one thing that is completely sort of out of the scope of what we find out is happening yeah because that was kind of like the first well that was the first time that she fully leaves yeah and realizes that she is not she's watching somebody else quote unquote kill someone yes that made me jump both of those things yeah there are some good jump scares there is and another plot hole that's sort of like that to me i don't know if it's necessarily a plot hole but gabriel isn't supernatural it is her but yet when she's in cuffs and she's in the interview Mm -hmm. with the detectives the detective gets a call from gabriel to taunt him And he also jumps into objects like TV screens and speakers to taunt people. To me, that feels like that negates the reality of what Gabriel is, which is just a thing in her consciousness. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand that. Yeah, I don't understand that either. And we tried talking about it yesterday. It's like he has some sort of electromagnetic connection. almost. Because he always makes the lights flicker or blow out or, you know, something happens with those when he is around. But then there's also the thing where he can, like, jump into, like, TV connections or he can jump into cell phones or radios and, like, speak through them. And I'm like, why does he have to speak through them and how? But the only reason that I can kind of connect when they were doing the surgery and Gabriel, when they were a child, they, like, did, like, that electroshock on, like, the temples. Mm -hmm. I'm like, was that some sort of weird connection that they tried to, like, piece that, like, oh, we gave him electric shock so now he can only communicate through electricity? Or maybe this is just another one of those things like him having complete superpower, super speed, super strength, where we're just supposed to sort of suspend disbelief to just kind of enter into all these strange genres without asking too many questions about it. Do you know what's also questioning and that like why... Questionable. Yes. 
okay. questionable is why Maddie has her body's great the next morning. She never feels any pain. Her body fully like contorts and like snaps and like used the wrong way, literally. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up the next morning, she's like, Wow, bad dream. Saw someone die. You know, if what? I sleep too firmly, my body hurts. <laughs> yeah, like never mind doing backflips off the side of a building. Yeah. Backwards. Spider Manning down a fire escape. One thing that I also I don't know why I didn't mention it earlier, but it was also in relation to the inspiration that James Wan, which I found interesting, is Malignant also takes a lot of um, references from Jalo films, I think is how you say it. G-A-I-L-O? J-A-H-L-O. Jalo. It is a type, so Jalo. Jalo is a film genre. So it is a thriller horror film genre that was popular in Italy in the 60s and 70s okay. and they're defined by female protagonists who witness a gruesome murder or are thrown into a world of paranoia, confusion and hallucination as they become central to solving a mystery. The killer in these films is typically a shadowy figure with black gloves. They serve as a precursor to a slasher film which then has so many overlaps in between. Okay. So, I found that really interesting that that is exactly what this was. Yeah. She's trying to solve this mystery, but there's also this killer with black gloves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, interesting. That also, is... he was very much a black shadowy figure. Also, how, why is Gabriel gendered at all? Because he was a parasitic twin, I don't believe that it had genitals outside of the way that it communicates, but it doesn't have a human voice. No. I think you said, too, that one of the potholes was that par- like a twin of that variety. Yes, you can... So conjoined twins, by definition, must be identical. Um, The initial cell division that would have made them twins does not complete, which makes it impossible for conjoined twins that are male and female. It would have been possible for Madison to have absorbed a fraternal twin, but the twin would have never developed to the degree that Gabriel did. Hmm. There is no medical documented cases of absorbed twins being anything more than foreign tissue or occasionally bone inside the surviving twin. The vast majority of absorbed twins are never discovered. Interesting. That is actually very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Back to the, the influence. Yeah, I just found it very interesting that it's literally like a word for word of what Malignant is as a movie. Yeah. The only other thing that I wanted to say was, you kind of touched on it, but I found like this article that kind of broke down like genres of films. Mm-hmm. We had gothic supernatural horror films from the 50s called Hammer Horror. And then we had the giallo territory with the cops and that they don't solve anything and that it's supposed to be this woman who does it. Yeah. Then we have... Oh, so the point of those is like, the lady's going to figure it out because no one else is. Yes. Love that. Um, Then we have the slasher thing where is it a man or is it a myth? Mm. Like Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers in the 80s. Yeah. We then throw into more psychological things with... um, nods to psychodramatic horror from Brian De Palma's sisters mm-hmm. and then Frank Henenlotter's Basket Case. I don't know that one. I don't either. And then we do into horror-tinged superhero movies from the 90s, like Sam Raimi's Darkman and Alex Proya's The Crow. And then one nod to superhero horror is that Madison Mitchell, her name, reflects on the alliteration that a superhero secret there's a secret identity Mm. um, behind it and that it only sets up for an avenue for a sequel because a lot of superhero horror movies have some sort of sequel. Because the thing never really dies. Yes. 
Interesting. I wonder if they kind of did set it up for a sequel because of there's, the very end. They they're supposed to be like a, it's supposed to be a franchise. Oh, oh yeah. cool. Um, See, I don't love that. It very much so sets it up for a sequel. Yes. In every way, shape, and form. The one thing that I think is kind of unfortunate about a sequel with this is that I think one of the beautiful things about *Malignant* that a lot of people take issue with is that. There was no sense of what it was. This was not like a supremely marketable film because it spanned so many things. And in order to Mm -hmm. not sort of give away what it was, you couldn't really market it. Couldn't really market it as what it was. Mm -hmm. That's why I enjoyed it so much is because it was one of the more unexpected films that I've seen in a long time. Now that we know what it is, what is the enjoyment of that going to be? I, and like, what are they going to do? Right. It takes a lot of value away from it. I don't know if I would want to watch another one. I not that, know. not I... that because I didn't like, quote unquote, didn't like it, but I'm like, what? Like, there's nothing else that I would be excited to see from this story. I, I'm like, are they just... going to what work in tandem together? Or he's obviously he'll break out from the cell that Madison has the created. But then what? Like, so he's just going to go back on a rampant killing rage. He killed everybody that he wanted to. No, he didn't, because the mom and Sydney did not right, die. Right, correct, sorry. He, Which was a nice twist at that end. Yeah, so there's this moment where you think that he has killed the mom and the adoptive sister, the birth mom and the adoptive sister, but then you find out that Madison has entered the mindscape to control it and is making Gabriel think that that's what happened, but mm-hmm. it hasn't. it didn't actually happen. Yeah. Because when that happened, when the sister was killed... I was not surprised, but I was a little disappointed at Me the too. casualty of it all because... It was so, like, just point I didn't, blank. I didn't feel... Sometimes when movies move in a direction to just throw a character away like that, I take it a little bit less seriously. Mm-hmm. Oh, all bets are off kind of thing. Nothing is sacred. But it felt like that with the cops and the whole jail cell. Yeah, but we weren't attached to those people. I know. The two detectives that, like, we were attached to both made it out alive, ostensibly. All right, so James Bond's wife is in this movie. She's very cute. I look at them. Oops, sorry. Oh, they're adorable. Yeah, so they wrote and she starred in this movie. They had a very funny moment, or she had a very funny moment, where she runs out after she's kind of like held herself up in the evidence room because Gabriel comes in and she hides and she comes out. And at this point, Gabriel has killed everyone in the precinct except for the two main detectives. And she goes to call... The paramedics, essentially, to -hmm. help them. But she calls 911, and then she realizes she's in the police precinct and everyone's dead. And she's like, why am I calling 911? And those are the moments that, in the moment where Madison is like, Sydney, I'm adopted. Where you're like, okay, this is intentionally silly. So this is the review that sort of lends to that idea, actually. It's from The Hollywood Reporter, and it says... It's all absurd, and much of it is intentionally funny, though the fact that you're supposed to be laughing may not be entirely evident until the last act. Upon rewatch, it becomes even more clear what Malignant is doing. From the overbearing music cues, the editing choices, the soap opera-esque revelations, like Sydney, I'm Adopted, the parking job on the edge of the cliff, and every actor's commitment to playing their character as big as possible, but completely seriously, Malignant is a masterclass example of controlling tone in order to dismay an audience and play with and subvert the conventions that the past decade of mainstream horror movies have taught us to respond to. Very true, because I think that we have been trained to sort of respond to and like those things, like The Conjuring, Mm -hmm. like um, Sinister, or all of those sort of mainstream horrors from the last couple of years, which though they are 
scary or interesting or whatever, they are very routine. They're Mm -hmm. not doing anything particularly interesting. Yeah, or out of the box. That's fair. I did find this funny quote. I don't remember where the article is from, but somebody wrote like a fake script of what they think would happen between James Wan and the Warner Brothers CEO. Okay. Uh, So it goes, interior, Warner Brothers Studios. Do you want us to play one? Do you want us to do like a script reading? You know what? Let's do it together. Okay. We're going to do a dramatic reenactment. I have not seen this yet, so I guess we'll see. Uh, your lines are very short. Am I Warner Brothers? You're Warner Brothers CEO and Sarnoff. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, that makes sense. Gendered. Oh. Would you like to be James Wan? No, I'd like to be Anne Sarnoff, the I feel like Warner Brothers CEO. I feel like you'd be a good Anne. Me too. Okay. So, interior, Warner Brothers studio. So, what if there are conjoined twins, but one of them was evil, scurries around like a spider, and actually kind of looks like Sloth from the Goonies? will imply that he's a demonic entity, but he's actually a glorified tumor on the back of a woman's skull. I'm thinking maybe the archaeologist from that terrible 2017 remake of The Mummy, when the parasitic twin takes over her body, the evil twin fights like if Jason Voorhees were cast in Tenant. It's going to be called Malignant. I thought this was a meeting about the Aquaman sequel. Oh yeah, I have a great idea to give Patrick Wilson a biblical makeover. I just need to get Malignant out of my system first. <laughs> Warner Brothers CEO Anne Sarnoff stares at the box office numbers of the superhero movie where Jason Momoa led a leviathan voiced by Julie Andrews into battle against Atlanteans riding great white sharks like horses to defend a bunch of crab people on their monarch called the Brine King. She sighs deeply. (sighs) Okay. But that's what it... End scene. uh, This is probably exactly how this was pitched. I mean, James Wan can do what James Wan wants to do. I mean, I forgot that he directed Aquaman. He also directed Fast 7. I've never seen Aquaman. It was fine. There was nothing mind-blowing. I feel like this movie is one of those things that it's created a lot of buzz, but it is not like a hereditary or a mother or a midsummer where there's a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. It is a very entertaining movie that tells you what it is if you wait it out. Do you know what I found out? What? Um, In researching, it's one of those movies where in the first five minutes with all the title sequences... It explains the whole plot. Does it? Yeah, it does. And I just, like, noticed, like, some clips where it just says, like, conjoined twins. Yes. You know, parasitic, remove the cancer, things like that. I did notice that because I knew. Right. See, and I didn't. I I kind of just, like... Breeze past it. Yeah, I just wasn't really paying attention to what was being said on screen. Right. Um, But now that I know, I'm, like, classic. Right. So the only thing I really have left to talk about is how the experience of watching this movie was so funny because every actor in this movie looks like a B-grade version (laughs) of a bigger actor. So I'm going to go through my list. Yes. Starting with Madison's husband, who has maybe two minutes of screen time. Deservingly. That's all he deserves. First passive glance, Max Thoreau, the older son from Bates Motel. Yep. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. The sister... Yes. Very, very certain angles. Florence, Florence Pugh. Pugh. Yep. Yes. Yep. The detective, the male detective. Yes. Jonathan Bennett, otherwise better known as Aaron from Mean Girls. I don't see that one. Okay. Um, But, okay. So, the main girl. Madison, yes. So, she's wearing a wig. She's another one. Bad, bad wig. Finely known actress. She's British. She is, uh, she was in... Annabelle. Annabelle. I know a lot of people are saying Angelina Jolie. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. I don't really see that. It's the bone structure for me. See, I see a real combination of Jessica Chastain and Diana Agron. 
Interesting. Diana Agron, I see. I don't see Jessica Chastain for some reason. Hmm. Is there a specific reference that you think of when you... The bone structure. I see Jessica Chastain's eyes because I do not see Angelina Jolie's eyes. I see her cheekbones. Jessica Chastain kind of has that face too, though. I need to look up a face picture of her. Yeah. And then the mom, like the adoptive mother who's in it very, very briefly. Just a couple of angles and glances. Hillary Clinton. (laughs) You know what? You're not wrong. When they first showed her in that wheelchair, I was like... Hillary? Madam President? (laughs) Okay, I just Googled Jessica Chastain and I typed in Angelina. And the thing was, Jessica Chastain looks like Angelina Jolie. But do they? They really don't. Like When I look at these pictures, I'm like... Because I don't think that the main girl from this movie looks like Angelina Jolie. Look at her in her everyday life without that wig. She really does not look like her. What is her actual name? Do we know? I do not remember. Weird. This is photos of her with blonde hair. Yeah, she doesn't look like that. She does not look like that. Do you know what I think the Angelina Jolie reference for me is? Is Angelina Jolie in Salt. It's the bangs, mm-hmm. the choppy bangs that remind me of Angelina Jolie and Salt is why what my reference is. She Does she have bangs in Malignant? Yeah. I've already forgotten so much. <laughs> the references that I would say. Oh, very fair. I also do think that they make, um, what's her name? Something Wallace? Annabelle. Annabelle Wallace look a little bit more gaunt than she actually looks in that movie. She's very contoured. Like this is her in Malignant. She's very much skin that and bones. That looks just like Jessica Chastain to me. I cannot unsee it. This photo, yes, yeah. I can see it. Underneath this photo is a photo of her in the mirror. And one fact that I did learn about this is that when she's talking on the phone to Gabriel in the mirror, the camera is angled in a position that you see the back of her head while she's talking. So it's just that she's having a conversation with herself. Right. This is what I mean. Okay. Do about I the- like this movie? I don't know. I feel like I might be sold by the end of this. But it definitely, I don't want to rewatch it soon, no. but I need to rewatch it. It will absolutely become a cult classic. Yes. I stand I, by that. I, I think it will too. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those movies where I probably will rewatch maybe closer to Halloween. Yeah. Because that's going to be coming up soon. I say, I will say the same thing I said to you. Go into this movie with very little expectations. Let it be what it needs to be. It's pure camp. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's action filled, honestly. A lot of action, yeah. surprisingly. Um. Although your recommendation, by the time someone reaches this part of the podcast, right. will have no meaning because... to them. Because guess what? They have heard it all. Done heard it all. They have all the expectations now. Well, still applies. You want to rate it? Yeah, I feel like my rating is going to be weird. I don't know what to okay, go put ahead. a number to it. First rating is scary. It had a couple of moments for me. Yeah, I'm going to give it like a four. I was going to say four yeah. as well. Because there was moments where I did jump. Unsettling. I've heard from people that it's not scary. It sat with me because of the adrenaline of the movie theater. So I'm going to give it like a six. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Because I also watched it at home. I'm going solid eight with that story. You know what? I'll give it a seven for story. That's high for story for us, I think. Yeah. Is it a paper cut? Or is it a bloody massacre? Not in the like rating wise bloody massacre. But it was a bloody it massacre. It was a bloody massacre on film. For me, it's one notch below a bloody massacre. I really liked it. I'm going to give it like one too many bone cracks. I'm like in a 50-50 spot for it. I think you're going to come around. Yeah, I think I will too. I think I just need that good rewatch now that I know everything. Yeah. I also think that this would be a good movie to watch with a group of people. I agree. I think that it's going to be one of those things where you can kind of laugh and you can also have like good interesting moments. Yes. I don't know. 
I said the other day, this is a great movie for a young boyfriend to take his girlfriend to. Very, yes. Mm-hmm. It is first date material. It absolutely is. You know what? Love that for that. Well, you know where to find us. We are The Bloody Podcastacre on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can send us an email at thebloodypodcastacre at gmail.com. Leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time. Every kill gets them closer to you.